Hi, welcome back to The Bench Press. I'm Jess Coleman here, as always, with my co-host, Bobby Denault. On today's episode, we want to touch on another hot-button legal question that's been frothing beneath the surface for some time now. Can a president pardon him or herself? Obviously, this issue has become particularly salient now that Trump, the leading contender for the 2024 GOP nomination, is facing four separate criminal indictments. Now, you've probably heard by now that a president cannot pardon him or herself for state crimes, which means that if Trump is convicted in the Stormy Daniels hush money case out of New York or the Georgia election interference case, he's out of luck. But what about the two federal cases brought by Special Prosecutor Jack Smith, the confidential documents case and the separate election interference case? Could Trump weasel his way out of those if, God forbid, he's given another term as president? Trump, for his part, to put it lightly, has kept the issue open. Most recently, in an interview with NBC's Kristen Welker, he said, quote, I have no interest in even thinking about it, and I could have done it. I'll leave it to you to decide what that actually means, but it seems pretty clear by now that escaping criminal liability is at least a factor, if not the entire purpose, in Trump's latest presidential run. For some background on all this, this all stems from an ostensibly very simple clause in Article 2 of the Constitution, which states, quote, the president shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. So in other words, the president can pardon individuals convicted of federal crimes, but can't use a pardon to escape impeachment. Nothing too complicated there. But the fact is, whether there are any limits on the pardon power, including for self-pardons, is basically a wide-open issue. Despite the issue getting tossed around during the Nixon and Bush years, it's never actually happened. No court has ever issued a ruling on it, and surprisingly, there's not a ton of legal scholarship surrounding it. In our current political and media environment, there seems to be a general understanding that, although it might be an open question technically, the answer is almost certainly no. If a president could pardon himself, it would basically throw the constitutional structure on its head. That's fair enough, but to put it simply, based on the experience of the past decade, we should probably exercise caution when assuming our government will reflexively engineer the correct result, or at least the result that we instinctively feel is the right one. And as it turns out, once you probe the self-pardon question a bit more, it turns out not to be so clear-cut. And in my opinion, at least, more on that later, that ambiguity reveals some interesting things about our politics, our constitutional scheme, and how to approach this particular moment in history. To get into all that, we're thrilled to have with us one of the leading scholars on self-pardons, Brian Kalt, a law professor at Michigan State and the author of a very compelling and influential article in Yale Law Review, arguing that the U.S. Constitution, while it doesn't say anything explicitly about self-pardons, implicitly does prohibit them. So with that, Professor Kalt, thank you so much for joining the Bench Press. I'm glad to be here. Great. So let's jump right into it. Um, the pardon power is something that I think most Americans are aware of. They're aware that it's a, a thing in our, our Constitution, but doesn't get talked about too much in terms of where it comes from, what it is, like why, why this thing is even in our constitution to begin with. So can you just give us a little background about where this power comes from and why it's a part of our constitutional structure? Sure. So it, it's sort of a holdover from the British monarchical pardon power. Um, and when they were creating the presidency, they decided this was something they should 
have in there, uh, they worried a lot about it being abused. And we can talk about the limits that they put on it. But basically, it's the most sort of regal of the president's powers. Um, the president uh, can uh, take any sort of criminal consequences for a federal crime and just wipe them away or reduce them or conditionally modify them. And the idea here really as a policy matter is just as a safety valve, uh, just as the British realized there are not, um, they're not always going to be perfect results. You're going to have injustice. If you have a, a criminal justice system with clear rules, the trade-off for having clear rules is sometimes it's a little over-inclusive and, and we err on the side of punishing people and we want that safety valve. And we want the person in charge of administering that safety valve to be accountable. Um, and so the president got that power because the president is the one nationally accountable person in, in the government. So um, if you shouldn't have been convicted, uh, if you should have been convicted, but you've earned some mercy, um, w w whatever, at any stage in the process, the president can sort of swoop in and and uh, sort of mitigate the, the ferocity of the criminal justice system. That's the idea. And uh, it, it's also important to uh, have that there sort of to dangle in front of people. Let's say there's a rebellion going on. You want to get people to lay down their arms. Uh, you can say, well, if you do, I'll, I'll pardon you. And that was that was important to the framers, too. So you mentioned some limits, um, and in the intro, I read for our listeners the actual text from the Constitution, um, and in there, there are two limits. Obviously, there's the, the limitation that it can only be for offenses against the United States, federal crimes, um, and then the limit where it cannot apply to impeachment. So, uh, you know, when, when most people read that, I think they say, okay, there are two limits, if they express two limits, then that's that's it. Those are the limits, right? And I think that's traditionally the understanding of the pardon power, right? So where do we get this idea that there are other limits, right? Because if there, what do you say to the argument that there are two limits expressed there? So that's it. Well, there's, there's two other sources of limits. One is the rest of the Constitution. So just because the pardon clause itself doesn't express a limit doesn't mean you can just ignore requirements that the other parts of the Constitution impose, things like equal protection. Um, <clears throat> the other limit, and, and this one is, uh, I think, less intuitive, is that a pardon has to be a pardon. That is, there are certain limits inherent in the definition of a pardon itself. So you, you can't do whatever you want, call it a pardon, and then have that work. So uh, just as an example of that, you can't, a president can't pardon someone in advance. Um, they, they can't say, you haven't done this yet, but I pardon you for whatever it is that you're about to do. You can only pardon things that have already been, acts that have already been performed. Well, it, it doesn't say that in the Constitution, but it's just inherent in the notion of what a pardon is, as opposed to a suspension of the law or, or whatever you would want to call it. And um, so there are some interesting discussions to be had about what other things are inherent in something being a pardon. Uh, what other things are not allowed because of that 
just sort of inherent textual limit. What about um, the phrase in cases of impeachment? It doesn't say in cases of impeachment and conviction. So do you think that there's an argument to be made that any any impeachment is sufficient to put uh, certain conduct off limits to a pardon? Or do you think that there's a stronger case to be made that it means only convictions and removals after impeachments? No, there's there's some English history here that sheds light on what exactly they meant by that. And uh, this, particularly because President Trump got impeached, uh, people were sort of speculating, what does that mean? Does that mean he can't pardon any anyone now because he was impeached? Does it mean that he can't pardon anything related to his impeachment? It, it means something very different uh, from both of those. What it means is that the presidential pardon power applies to federal crimes and the whole criminal justice side of things. And the impeachment process is separate from that. So the other places in the Constitution you see that phrase, except in cases of impeachment, um, is in the jury trial provision. Article three says federal criminal trials are by jury, uh, except in cases of impeachment. And what it's doing is it's saying whatever is going on in the impeachment process, that's not subject to all of all of the Constitution's uh, rules and regulations about criminal justice. So usually you'd have a jury, you don't if it's an impeachment. Usually there's the ability to pardon, you don't if it's an impeachment case. Right. So what, what it just means is the president can stop a trial from happening. Uh, the president can undo the results of a trial using the pardon power, right. but the president can't stop an impeachment, can't pardon someone who's being impeached and say, oh, it's okay, let's not do this. Or if someone's convicted, um, the president can't undo that. And uh, there's some English roots to that. The king used to, um, well, in a particular case involving the Earl of Danby, uh, the, the king used the pardon power to prevent the impeachment trial from going forward because it would have embarrassed the king. Mm. Basically, this guy was doing the king's bidding and he wanted to shut that down before he got embarrassed. And so in England, they said, you, you can't preempt an impeachment, but the king could still undo an impeachment. Once they had the trial, once someone was convicted, the president could pardon someone. We went one step further in our constitution and said, you can't do that either, president. You can't touch that. It's, it's Congress's domain. It's not the criminal justice system. It's off limits to the pardon power. So yeah, you're, you're talking a lot about like history and like these background constitutional principles sort of coming into the constitutional convention and sort of just this general understanding of what a pardon means and those could potentially create limitations on the power going forward. Um, what did the framers say about this? What did they think about this? Um, you know, we're not, I don't, you know, we're not originalist scholars here, but um, to the extent there, there was any discussion of self pardons or other limitations on the pardon power. Um, what do, what do we know about what the founders said about that? Well, self pardons uh, are, are an interesting uh, tricky subject because they didn't say anything about self-pardons directly. And so you can speculate, well, does that mean that they thought that it went without saying that you couldn't do it? Does Did it go without saying that you could do it? Um, whatever it was, it went without saying because they didn't say anything. 
Uh, maybe they didn't think about it at all. So we have to look for other clues. Um, and, and you can talk about inherently what a pardon is. I, I would argue that a, a pardon is something you give to someone else. It doesn't make sense to pardon yourself any more than it makes sense to donate to yourself or to condone your own actions, donate, condone, mm -hmm. pardon. Those are all from the same Latin root. Um, and they all have that inherently bilateral quality to them. Mm. But, um, what the framers thought about it, we, we can see from an, another part of the debate that they had, they were talking about limiting the pardon power. And uh, there was a suggestion made that maybe they shouldn't allow the pardon power in cases of treason. And the reason given for that was um, specifically, this is in Madison's notes about the debates in the convention. Uh, the, the objector said, the traitors may be his own instruments. That is, the president might be at the, at the head of this treasonous conspiracy. And if we let him pardon people, then he'll be able to successfully run this treasonous operation. Uh, we, we don't want that. And the response to that that was given, which carried the day because they didn't limit the pardon power for treason, was... If the president is part of this treasonous conspiracy, then he can be impeached and he can be prosecuted. In, in other words, we need to have a pardon for treason to uh, sort of shut down rebellions by allowing the president to bargain with these people. Mm -hmm. And if you're worried about the president being a traitor, well, the president can be held accountable through impeachment through prosecution, um, we can debate whether a sitting president can be prosecuted, but if you've impeached and removed a president, he, once he's gone, you can prosecute him. Right. And when I look at that, I think, well, if that argument carried the day, if they, if they thought that the possibility of prosecuting this treasonous conspiratorial president was enough to say, okay, so we don't have to worry about it. We can let him pardon everyone else, right? Uh, as, as long as we can throw him out of office and prosecute him. If they thought for a second that he had the power to pardon himself, right. that would have been no comfort at all. Uh, and and someone would have said, oh, no, we, we can't prosecute him. He would, just, he would just pardon himself. And then we wouldn't be able to prosecute him. So try again. Uh, but they didn't say that. And so I, I think it, it must have just been unimaginable to them. Um, but it, it, I'm, I'm speculating, right? Because they didn't say. Uh, but I, I think just, you know, being the judge in your own case, it, 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 it doesn't make sense to be the partner in your own case doesn't make sense. Yeah, I mean, do you think some of that comes from that maybe historically, and I'm sure you probably have a good understanding of this, pardons would come sort of at the tail end of these sort of trials or convictions and at some point, they would assume if a president's been impeached and removed, he's not going to be able to preeminently forgive something he hasn't even been charged with yet. Um, is is that something in the calculus here, or was it more, you know, uh, typical back then even to preemptively forgive conduct even if prosecutors hadn't brought a criminal charge against a person yet? Um, it, it is. Uh, this is one of the most common. Um, things that people sort of throw at me when I talk about 
the pardon power and preemptive pardons in particular is is uh, people say, well, you, you can't pardon someone before they've even been convicted. Well, it turns out you can. Preemptive pardons are a thing in the federal system. Uh, not not every state allows it, but but in the federal system, you can pardon anything, any act that's already been committed, whether it's been um, charged, let alone convicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so we saw this with the Nixon pardon. Uh, that was a preemptive pardon. The very first pardon that George Washington as president issued uh, was uh, preemptive, the, the Whiskey Rebellion. And mm-hmm. it was exactly what they had said. We, we've got to put down this rebellion by extending mercy to these people. And he pardoned some people who were in a lot of trouble but hadn't been criminally charged yet. So I think they were very aware that preemptive pardons could be a thing yeah. and um, that a preemptive self-pardon could be a thing. And a, a president, uh, another argument that people say is, oh, well, you know, pardons are only for guilty people. Uh, in fact, there's some language that's often taken out of context from a case called Burdick uh, that says that a, a, a pardon is a declaration of guilt, that accepting a pardon is an admission of guilt. And that's that's just not necessarily so. Usually it is. Usually you use pardons to forgive guilty people but you can also use them to protect innocent people. And um, you, you can imagine a president pardoning himself wouldn't say, I'm guilty, but I'm the president, so I'm going to pardon myself. Ha ha. Uh, what he would say is, um, probably on his way out of office, I am uh, being persecuted, uh, you know, witch hunt, whatever phrase you want to use. Um, this is illegitimate. This is wrong. I have the power to stop it, and I'm going to use that power. Uh, I'm going to pardon myself so that they can't wrongly persecute me. Um, and and presidents do, on occasion, use the pardon power to exonerate people, uh, to say that not that they deserve forgiveness, but that they didn't do anything wrong in the first place. And uh, and and we've seen this. Uh, President Trump uh, pardoned Jack Johnson posthumously. Uh, not because he was guilty, but because he wasn't. Uh, George H.W. Bush pardoned the Iran-Contra defendants because he thought they shouldn't have been charged. Not that they should have been, but that they deserve forgiveness. So I think it's it's preemptive pardons, uh, exonerative pardons. Those are part of the part of the mix. And I I, I don't think that um, other than as a practical or a political matter, you can say that that works against the idea that the president can pardon himself. Mm. I don't think the president can pardon himself, but not, not because of those reasons. Right. One of the things that you're alluding to there um, throughout that answer is that pardons can happen for different considerations, right? There's the, there's the idea that it's kind of this like private act of grace that, that it's been described in the case law before, that it's sort of this like act of mercy. And then there's this idea that it's like in the public, you know, it's for the public good that we're doing this. Right. So uh, one of the things that I was really interested in when I first read your uh, scholarship on this issue back in law school was that in the case law, that the understanding of the pardon power kind of changed, kind of went from this is just some private act of mercy. And, and then in the more modern times, it's no, this is actually like a public policy consideration that's part of the whole constitutional scheme and therefore subject to all of these other limitations that you might find in the Constitution, like you were saying before. Um, can you can you describe for us like what's going on there um, and how the court has kind of 
um, in the case law sort of changed its understanding of the pardon power um, and ultimately how that changes your conclusion about self-pardons? Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's kind of, as I look back on on uh, what I wrote there, I think I, I if I had that to do over again, I would emphasize that it's not an either or situation. That is, something can be an act of mercy and a policy decision. It could be in the policy interest of the United States to extend mercy, uh, in other words. Um, but, but that notion of a private act of grace, as you say, is that's sort of like a throwback to the, the, the English royal uh, version of the pardon power, which, to be fair, our pardon power has some, mm-hmm. uh, some vestiges of. But uh, I think what that grew out of were cases where um, people didn't want uh, to accept pardons. And that's a whole other question. Can you be forced to accept a pardon? If the president says, okay, here's this person who's going to be executed uh, under the authority of the United States government, I'm the president and I say, we're not going to execute him. I'm commuting this sentence. Um, he, he doesn't get executed. Can that person say, no, uh, I, I refuse. Uh, you have to execute me. Who's it up to? Is it up to the leader of the executive branch of the federal government or is it up to the 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 uh condemned himself i i think the court was uncomfortable with the notion that someone could over the objections of the government uh require the government to execute them uh, or do anything else to them for that matter um so that i think makes it more about policy um, mercy, well, someone doesn't have to accept your mercy if they don't want, but they do have to accept your policy decision if mm-hmm. they're the president and you're not. Um, what that says about self-pardons, it's tricky. You know, every, this is, this is always true of constitutional law. Every argument that you can make, um, there's a counter argument. Um, and so you can say, like I said, a pardon's inherently bilateral. Okay. Well, they can say the president, the office is extending this pardon to president the the person right and that's bilateral so there um a policy requirement it's a policy judgment that's that's an argument for self-pardonability the president can say look sometimes it it it's the right thing to do to to pardon someone it, oh it's me oh well that's a coincidence um but but it's still the right thing to do as a policy matter mm-hmm. um i would say though that that brings us back into this notion of not being the judge in your own case. If we think about the, the system, the criminal justice system, before any criminal consequences can happen to you, all these ducks have to be in a row, right? Congress has to pass the law uh, that you, the criminal law that you violated. The prosecutor has to charge you. The grand jury has to indict you. The judge has to let the case go forward. The jury has to convict you. The president has to not pardon you right? All of those stages in the process. And we don't let the judge be the judge in his own case, the grand jury be the grand jury in its own case. If you're under indictment, then you're not on the grand jury. Uh, You're not on the trial jury. You're not the judge. And I would say by the same token, yes, uh, we, we have to be able to pardon people. But if you're the one whose pardon is at issue, you got to have someone else make that decision. It, it's complicated by this idea of, 
uh, by this question of whether you can prosecute a president while he's in office. So if you're prosecuting the president while he's in office, there isn't someone else. Uh, There's only one president. It's not like a judge who you can have recuse himself and have another judge or jurors, you know, just pick another random person off the street. There's only one president. Um, So the, 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 the notion of temporary presidential immunity while in office, I think, is an important part of this self-pardon notion. And if you say that president can be prosecuted while in office federally, then it starts to make more sense that maybe, maybe he could pardon himself too. He can certainly fire any prosecutor who's trying to prosecute him in the federal government. Uh, and if he can do that, then maybe he can pardon himself too. Can he, can he, can he do it without it being obstruction is a separate question, but yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's the other thing uh, that, that comes up in all these cases. People, people talk about um, not being able to impeach someone for the exercise of presidential power. Uh, and I looked at that and I said, well, what, what if, what if I go to the president and I say, I want to pardon, here's a million dollars. Yeah, right. It's bribery, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's bribe. But is the pardon valid? Is, the is pardon the should be valid, right? Yeah. So my, my answer to that is the pardon is valid. But the bribery is right. a crime and right. you can prosecute me and you can prosecute the president and the pardon can't cover that. You can't pardon yourself for the crime of a corrupt pardon because you can only pardon yourself for something you did in the past. And, and at, at any time you issue a corrupt pardon, that's a new crime. Uh, and so you could keep pardoning, pardoning and pardoning and pardoning, but eventually the clock runs out. So if... If it's obstruction, if it's part of some corrupt scheme, um, then the the pardon being valid doesn't change the fact that it represents a new crime in in and of itself. Yeah, Here, here's my problem. Though. Here's my problem. Though we're laying out a situation where you know a, a bribe, like that, would be a crime, right? But you can imagine tons of pardons that are clearly corrupt. But don't rise to the level of a crime. And, you know, like I'm thinking of like the, the Joe Arpaio pardon or like the Paul Manafort or Roger Stone pardons. Like clearly there, there's like a, a corrupt intent going on there, some sort of scheme, um, but not a crime. So, you know, he, he, here's a hypothetical. I, I want to throw out this hypothetical for a second to, to challenge this concept a little bit. Let's say President Biden tomorrow said as we're going to pardon all marijuana convictions, Right. And like across the board, everyone, because we have a, you know, we believe the war on drugs was wrong. We're, we're just going to do this across the board. And it turns out that President Biden years ago had a marijuana conviction and the pardon partly applies to him. Like, would would that really, you know, offend the Constitution in the same way that we're thinking about self-pardons? Because I think, you know, when we think about self-pardons, we're thinking of like the worst, most corrupt, brazen acts but you can imagine all kinds of pardons that are corrupt in other ways, but just aren't, you know, aren't self pardons, right? It's just one example of a corrupt pardon. So, but even, 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 even in that scenario, Jess, like that principle of being the judge in your own case still applies there, even if it's as something as incidental as, oh, I, I honestly didn't even realize this would apply to a decades old ticket I got for smoking a joint at something, it would still 
fit into the framework of that concern. Like there's just this system is just not in any way structured for someone to be the ultimate arbiter of justice in their own case, in their own criminal case. I'm not as I'm not as sure about that. So, you you know, the president can do other things that that affect that and and sort of broad policy strokes. Um, You know, the president signs tax cut legislation. Um, he's not exempt from that. Whatever taxes, uh, whatever, whatever tax cut there is applies to him, applies to everyone in Congress who voted for it too. Um, that's not individualized decision-making. And I, I like that hypo because pardons, we think of them as individualized decision-making, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes we have mass amnesties. We had that after uh, Vietnam, Ford and, and Carter both did those sorts of things. What I would say to that is, uh, one, uh, maybe maybe that is okay. But even if it's not, even if we say self-pardons are not available, like it, it can't apply to him, it can apply to everyone but him, the next president could come along and, and, uh, and clean that up and, uh, and, and take care of that. So it's, it's not like he's completely out of luck here. If it is a legitimate policy decision and he wants it to apply to him, maybe it, maybe it could. Uh, but even if it doesn't, even if the self-pardon principle extends to something like that, the successor can can just pick it up and say, OK. And and um, and we've seen uses like that. So when when Andrew Johnson was pardoning everyone left and right after the Civil War, um, there were some people left out and then subsequently uh, they, they would get picked up by, by later actions. And, and it's, it can be an iterative process. And I, I think that's okay. Um, but, but that is a, that is a great, that is a great hypo. I, I would say that's not what people worry about when they worry about self pardons, but it points to one of the problems with the pardon power, which is the president has it alone. Any other policy decision, um, changing the sentencing, um, changing the statutes, you know, Congress has to do it. Congress gets to weigh in on it. Um, And they can talk about how there's some self-dealing going on there. That can be a part of the calculus. Um, What's uh, sort of analogous here, though, is anything that a president does with the pardon power is not limited in any sort of prior restraints or way. The president doesn't have to get permission from Congress. The president doesn't have to get confirmation from the Senate. The president doesn't really even need the rest of the executive branch um, to enforce what he's doing. He just signs his name to it and it happens. Um, and um, the one check on this uh, is on the back end, which is, you can't undo the pardon, but you can't impeach the president for abusing it. So if you're really concerned that what the president did was corrupt in some sort of way, whether because it was a self-pardon or because, you know, President Clinton on his way out of office, he pardoned Mark Rich, he pardoned his own brother. Uh, they, 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 can, they can impeach you for that. And that's what they said when they were worried about the pardon power in the Constitutional Convention. If he abuses it, we can impeach him for it. Um, can you impeach him after he's left office? That's a whole other chapter of my book, but, um, 
it, it it's it's the check that exists. The president can use power. The president can abuse power. But if he goes too far, Congress is supposed to step in and and level those consequences. So then why isn't that the answer, though? Right. Like why? Why? Because my, my concern here is that we're kind of creating a legal solution for something that's really a political problem. Right. Because like you were saying, like some, sometimes self-pardons might not be as corrupt as we tend to think of them. Sometimes pardons that appear, you know, just private acts of grace, like pardoning Paul Manafort turned out to be brazenly corrupt, even though they're technically legal. Um, so why aren't, why can't we just think of this as a political problem? Because like my, my concern is that by legalizing it, we then kind of offload it, the responsibility from our political leaders to police the limits of the impeachment power, because it really only can make sense as a, a, a like logistical matter that we treat it that way. Otherwise, so many things are going to fall through the cracks. Well, the, the thing about impeachment that uh, I mean, this gets debated in every impeachment. Anytime someone gets impeached, um, the, the, the defense um, argument arises. They say, uh, well, impeachable offenses have to be crimes. And and they don't. Um, they, they always make that argument. Um, it always gets a lot of mileage. It, get, it gets some traction. But impeachable offenses don't have to be crimes. So if you're abusing power in a way that is not itself a crime, you can still be impeached for that. And then the framers were very clear about this. Anytime they talked about, oh, are we giving the president too much power? Maybe he could abuse this power. Impeachment, that was that was the remedy. And um, the, the, the bar for something being an impeachable offense is, is actually pretty low as a practical matter. I mean, I think you can argue pretty much every president committed an act or two uh, or a hundred that were arguably... Uh, meeting that definition of of uh, an impeachable offense, high crime or misdemeanor—it's a term of art. It doesn't mean like what we think of crimes, misdemeanors as violations of the criminal code. Um, and the the limit on impeachment is who decides. Two thirds of the Senate—it's hard to get two thirds of the Senate to agree on something. It's got to be bad enough that not just the people who already oppose the president think that it's uh, bad, but, but enough people on the president's own side. Um, and so when we say impeachment is the ultimate remedy, we're also saying that it's, it's pretty hard to make that happen. Uh, the, the president has to be aware of it. Uh, the president has to not do anything that's going to make even his own people in, in the Senate vote against him. Uh, but, but that bar is pretty high. I mean, we've only had two really serious impeachment episodes in, in this country. Uh, the, the last three weren't. I mean, we, you sort of knew that they weren't going to succeed. House did it anyway. But Andrew Johnson, um, they one of the things they tried to impeach him for earlier before the successful um, House vote to impeach was for abusing the pardon power. They thought he was pardoning too many people. Uh, and so they someone introduced a resolution to impeach him for that didn't have the votes uh later they impeach him successfully it's it's not a coincidence that that's the only time in american history that the president faced a two-thirds uh opposition majority in the senate you know he's a democrat they had actually a lot more than two-thirds 80 percent republican control in the senate 
So he got impeached and almost convicted. And the other one was Nixon. And Nixon was about to get impeached. He didn't get impeached, uh, but he was about to get impeached. And it wasn't until he knew that they had the votes in the Senate that he resigned. He would have been impeached. He would have been convicted. And as he was contemplating leaving office, just to bring this full circle, he asked his lawyers, uh, what are my options? And, uh, and they said, well, you, you, you could resign. Um, you could impeach yourself and then resign. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm sorry, not impeach yourself. You could pardon yourself and then resign. Um, and that would only take a second, right? Uh, impeachment, removal, that would take weeks. Uh, but a pardon, you could do that instantly. You could pardon yourself and then resign. And, uh, and Nixon, of all people, uh, you know, he was a he was a good lawyer. There's a lot of things, but he was a, he was a very good lawyer. Duke Law grad. He he decided polit- politically he he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He had to he had to get the pardon from Ford. He couldn't give it to himself. Legally, could he? Well, his lawyers thought so. The lawyers at DOJ thought not. Um, but rather than press that issue, rather than say, "Oh, I have this policy decision to make." just so happens I'm the president and I'm the subject of this policy decision. Even Nixon realized you can't do that. Um, you've got to leave it to the next guy. And, um, and, and impeachment is separate from that. He would have been impeached. He would have been removed if he hadn't resigned. And I think Ford probably still would have pardoned him. What do you think of the textualist argument that the word grant implies you must sort of what you said, the entire like verbiage, requires two people to be involved. You can't grant something to yourself. There was an interesting article that came out uh, around the end of Trump's presidency that sort of posited an originalist, textualist perspective reading on the word grant. Um, and I wondered what you thought about that. Yeah, you know, I, I talked in, in my in my book, uh, I talked about the, the word pardon being inherently bilateral. They, um, ex- as, as you said, it, extend that same type of argument to the word grant, which is also part of the pardon clause. I, I think it's an interesting argument. I think the, the problem is, is the same as the problem with my argument, which is um, you can construct a bilateral self-pardon. Right. Uh, you can have, you can have um, Trump, oh, I'll use Trump as an example because he's the, the leading advocate for self-pardons. He's the one who said <laughs> that he could do it. Uh, when I wrote about this in the '90s, everyone said that it was ridiculous to to, to write about this. Who would ever do this? Here um, we are. Well, Didn't take long. Trump, Trump, <laughs> Trump not only said he could do it; he said it was a, it was it was clear that he could do it. Yeah. Um, he would say, "I, the president of the United States, am granting this to this person, and right. this person uh, happens to be me." But it's not me, the president. It's me, the person. And this is something I'm going to carry with me after I've left office. After I'm not the president anymore, I'm I'm I am using this power of the presidency. But I'm just a human being, and mm. that's bilateral. Mm. Uh, you, you you. There's a muddiness to at that. The end of, at mean, the end for... of the at the end of the day, you have to you have to pick one or the other. There's right. always that counter argument. Right. It either makes sense or it doesn't. And Seems, I don't know what yeah. the courts would do if this yeah. case came up. I know what I would do if I were on the court. Right. But I, I like the grant argument just 
like I like the the pardon argument, the inherent bilateral argument, but it it's not a slam dunk. There's no definitive resolution of this question. And and when it gets up to the court, you know what they say, the, the Supreme Court isn't perfect because they, they what, what was it? Uh, Jackson said they don't get the last word because they're infallible. They're infallible because they get the last word. <laughs> and so if they say that there's no self pardons, then there's no self pardons. Hmm. Uh, and 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 we know and that'll be that. Well, hopefully we are lucky and everything we just said becomes moot, but I have a feeling we might not be so lucky and we'll be coming right back to this to uh, brush up a little bit on these topics. But for now, we will leave it there. Thank you so much, uh, Professor Kalt, for joining us. This was a fascinating discussion. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Professor Kalt. Thank you, as always, to all of our listeners. We'll see you again soon for another edition of The Bench Press.